Welcome to the Hanging Banners Podcast with your host, Tyler Witt. How about this block here by Tyler Witt? You're going to see him get out in front, and he's going to get a key block that springs this play. Jack Coachman. And here he is, having the time of his life. And Ryan Sartori. Maybe short, but he's thick. <laughs> that's, that's thick with two seats. Welcome back to the Hanging Banners podcast. It's episode 23. I'm Ryan Sartori alongside Jack Coachman and Tyler Witt. Welcome back. Welcome back to normalcy. We had the uh, punishment episode last week. Now we're back on our regularly scheduled programming. And yeah, gentlemen, how are we? It. Yeah, okay, that's good. A, that's All right. a good way to put it. I always get scared when I'm done with that little bit of like 30 oh, second that's intro. So fun seeing the panic in your eyes like 30 <laughs> seconds into it. No, no, no. I'm doing well. I'm I'm ready for we we did talk a lot of sports last week. We were worried uh, Tyler had given the preface that it might not be a lot of sports talk, but we didn't stray too far. So I, I don't think we derailed too much. We'll be back in it. Uh, oh, <laughs> that stuck around. What do you know? And just like that, uh, my taxi's here. <laughs> oh, and he's gone. All right, cool. My Glad text. to know it's just you and me, Tyler, the bearded boys of the Hanging Banners podcast. No, uh, but we are back to our regularly scheduled programming today. We're talking an awful lot about uh, the reemergence of baseball, and we're talking specifically about the uh, inclusion of some new rules and how we've seen it kind of play out and kind of playing around with the new pitch clock. We're also talking about college basketball as it is uh, conference tournament season. And soon to be upon us is March Madness. And um, we're going to have some fun today. Tyler, how are we feeling? You know, um, speak, I'm, I'm speak, good. Be open. Speak candidly. It's okay. You know, I'm, I'm having some technical issues over here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we're rocking, we're rolling, we're, we're ready to go. Tyler today, uh, for your audio quality, is raw dog in the iPad <laughs> microphone. That's his audio today. Uh, it's fun. We have different, like we have, it's basically a, a scale, right? You've ever looked at like a, a, a Wi-Fi logo, how it's like one, two, three. We've got Tyler raw dogging a, an iPad microphone. We've got Jack with his uh, gaming headset on. Yeah. Plugged into a laptop. Brand it is. And then, you know, I've, I, I, I'm not here to brag. I'm not here to do anything other than point out the fact that I've got the sure microphone on the stand with the it's it's OK, though. You know why? Because we're here. We're together and we're talking sports. And Tyler, I know you're a little frustrated right now. You actually look a little dark in the shadows. Maybe let's uh, let's spread some 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 light on this podcast here early on with counter wins. Sir, you go first. My win this week is, well, since I have a lot of free time on my hands right now, um, I have been exploring the Chicagoland music scene. Mm. So I've been going to different shows around, just in the suburbs, right? Like the Chicagoland area. I'm going to a couple shows and checking out some local talent. And I'm very impressed with the the range. I, I saw a guy the other day. He, he did this whole his whole set, 40-minute set. It's like meditation yoga music. And he just gets up there and he just like he, he plays a little chord. Then he does his little thing on his like pad and the it soundboard. Just, like, loops everything. And it's yeah. Yeah. And it's like the most peaceful music ever. It was insane. So there's some very killer acts around here that aren't very well known. And I'm very excited to, to be able to listen and 
potentially work with these people. Because so, and again, you're a third of the Hanging Banners podcast, but professionally right now, even though you're not in football, you still are the owner of a record label. Yes, that is correct. So I've been using it as an opportunity to scout. Plug your record label. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up at Broken Record Music Club on Instagram. Um, you can give us, you can check out our website too, www.brokenrecordmusicclub.com. We have some cool stuff. We have some cool artists. We have an, we had an artist who just released a new single uh, on Friday. So we're really excited about that. He had uh, an article written about it, uh, reviewing it uh, on Buzz Slayers. So that was pretty pretty cool opportunity for him. Um, and we're, we're really excited for what's what's coming up. Believe it or not, the mascot of Bus Slayers is also Bussy. It's weird. Um, <laughs> so that's how they got brought on. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Bussy, Bussy's actually pulling overtime nowadays. Not only is he working in Portugal <laughs> as the, the mascot of their public transportation system, he is also the mascot of uh, this publication that covered one of Tyler's artists. Uh, so again, Broken Record Labels uh, uh, is... Music Club. Broken Record Music Club. And if you plugged it more on this podcast, I'd have it memorized by now. I was going to say, you had that URL down for somebody who wasn't even going to say the name. It like immediately went into infomercial mode. It was kind of <laughs> impressive. Just flip the switch. I've been trying to get onto TikTok with it so I can expand and get more fans for, for my artists. And so I've been like trying to embrace the... Yeah, just give us a follow right here and then check out our website up here. And then <laughs> while you're at it, like give me a follow down here. Like, well, it should be easy though, right? Because you have more followers than Jack and I combined. So oh I mean, you're God. already an influencer. No, no, no. I'm I'm off that uh, after the Sartori. Like I've got the sure microphone and a microphone arm. I'm yeah. off of the Tyler Bregan thing. Today's a Sartori. You're on notice. I'm literally man. out here talking into an iPad. Like <laughs> <laughs> this is how he makes his TikToks too. Believe yeah. it or not. <laughs> <laughs> in a dimly poorly lit room at this angle yep. <laughs> looking slightly down <laughs> uh this is uh this is what i would consider a cool guy shot uh, <laughs> there's a lot of really cool guys on tiktok that uh have this very similar <laughs> camera angle and light setup that you have uh for this podcast tyler so today you are you are an honorary cool guy um cool. Jack Coachman, I know it's probably been an awesome week for you. So I, I ask you to bring your win to the table. I would say it's been a good week. I wouldn't say awesome. Not, not that it's been bad or anything. And my win's pretty small, but I had the chance to play a uh, new-ish board game to completion with some relatives. I had dabbled with it with them uh, playing this game called Wingspan back in late December, early January, and. I don't have as many board games as I like, and I don't play them as often as I want. But I know that this game is highly received, uh, very popular, just came out about four or five years ago. I think it won the, whatever it's called, the Spiel de Jar is like some international board game award, won that in 2019. Um, so I was really excited to play it, and it lived up to expectations. It was such a phenomenal, it was a beautiful game. Uh, the objective is you have multiple ways to get points, but you have to um, essentially play birds they're like different north american birds that you can play and then you get points for eggs that you lay you get points for 
you know, if you have certain objectives completed. So the conceit is kind of strange, but it absolutely is like, as far as modern strategy goes, a little bit of deck building, a little bit of, uh, it's not super competitive. You're sort of doing your thing while your opponents are doing their thing. It is an absolute blast of a game. And I'm so glad that it was as good as I was expecting it to be. I feel like Ryan is really judging right now, but I have to say I came into like I did I had my first like tabletop like board game experience like that um, at the new year. I for my best friend uh, from high school his his wedding mm-hmm. his bachelor party he just wanted to play board games, so oh, that's, that's what we did. And I was interested in all these super awesome games, and they were like I was blown away by how much fun they were and how strategic mm-hmm. and how much goes into them and. I can see the judgment in, in his eyes up there. Now I, I, no, mine. Oh, oh, on my screen, you he's, pointed he's, at me. I'm like, wait, no. I'm loving this conversation. Right. Other way. No, you're still pointing at Jack. You got to mirror your camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Jack, you got to yeah, mirror you your can. camera too. You're pointing nowhere. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it, judgy guy, Mr. Fancy Microphone. You can speak so clearly about your board game, Vitriol. <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just saying that's... Uh, the game sounds like it's for the birds. Um, oh my god! God, <laughs> no, like new new age board gaming, and the most simple example is like Settlers of Catan. If you guys have ever, ever played that one, that's like the gold standard of yeah. You know, I'm gonna try and get some family members or friends to play a game that has a little bit more strategy and thinking than like game of life or monopoly or sorry (laughs) so like those i love classic board games don't get me wrong but uh definitely there are not enough hours in the day or days in the year to try all of these amazing games that are being developed around the world i do love a good board game session the issue is getting people together to have a good board game session because The first hurdle is, again, getting the people together. The second hurdle is making sure that everybody's on the same page, the energy's right, and everybody's enjoying the game the same way. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is you pull a game out, you play a round, or you play like the first half hour of it, and then the energy quickly dissipates, and then there is no more like vigor uh, or energy for for what you're doing, and it, it dissipates into something else people lose interest and like so i think over over time i've kind of grown i don't know what the word i want to use is but i've kind of grown like i guess tiresome of playing board games because i i never get to finish any of them oh then you gotta we gotta find a either a neutral location or you come over here we'll play some board games i unfortunately my lines i draw is can't do a place with dogs and stuff but uh i don't have a dog oh i thought you did no he it's shared custody Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah. No, I'm like, uh, that is one of my issues is because I know that people will try and like flake mid-game or, oh, I don't really like it, but I'll play just because everyone wants to. And like, that's not a great experience either. I'm like a connoisseur, like a picture going to a, a bar and you're like, I would like to have a wine with my meal. What wine should I have? And they'll be like, oh, I have the thing for you. I'm like, I will ask people like, do you want a loud or a quiet game? Do you want team-based? Do you want cooperative? Do you want competitive? Like, I have got games and games and games here. I can bring whatever will suit your fancy. So we'll have See, to and I, I, I do like board games. I, I do find myself sometimes um, steering away from the commitment of sitting down for a long board game. Um, but like, I enjoy playing dominoes a lot. I enjoy playing, you know, strategy based stuff again, but like as the older brother of a 
uh, a, a grade schooler. And also Nikki, my girlfriend, has four siblings, 12 years old or younger. We end up find ourselves playing a lot of like little kid board games like uh, her family came over. Well, her family came over and we had to relearn how to play Yahtzee or playing Uno or stuff like that. And like you can only play those things so many times before you're like. I'm over this. You know what I mean? Like, Fair enough. so I, I would like to get back into board gaming. Um, but, and maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is content. Maybe we just cracked the code on like the first ever, not virtual podcast content right there is we're all going to sit down and play board games together. I don't know. Yep. People stream tabletop gaming. We could do uh, secret Hitler. Uh, you gotta I've, get more played, people involved. I've played that one and it is, uh, it is fun. Yeah, <clears throat> modern deception game. A lot of those out there too. So mm-hmm. no, dude, I could get, I could talk the whole podcast just about board games. But I will end my win there and say uh, thank you for my time. I I yield the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll write that down. I'd like to do now that we're in non-football season. I'd like to do like more like draft type stuff. So I think those are so much fun to do. And maybe we could do a draft of like the best board games. Um, yeah. My win this week. I have it written down as a new job is on the horizon. And this is true. A new job is on the horizon for your boy. Uh, the job that I have working in country radio is great and it's sticking around. That is my day job. I have no plans of leaving that anytime soon. But as of recently, I have been uh, added on to the team at Beloit College and I will be broadcasting games for them this spring. And I'm very excited about it. This will kind of scratch the itch I have for doing sports broadcasting while I also get to pursue something very cool in an industry that I never thought that I'd work in in country radio, uh, working with a legend of of country music radio and in uh, my partner, Steve Summers. And, you know, uh, being able to get back to sports is something that I think is really cool. So go Bucks. We're calling some baseball this spring. We're calling some softball this spring. We might even dabble in lacrosse this spring. Um, so we'll figure that all out. Um, and it's something that I'm very excited to announce officially uh, as uh, something coming my way. And um, again, like we get kind of deep on this podcast every once in a while. I've gotten deep, especially er- in earlier episodes of the podcast about like the meaning of like picking up work and, and doing stuff like that. And I know like, you know, I'm not, I'm not here at all to like toot horns or rub things in people's faces rather as just kind of showing like a, uh, a, a full circle moment of like things can be really bad and things can feel awful and things can feel like they're never going to find resolve. But if you just keep pushing and you just keep having that determination, things will change. And that's anything in life, whether it's your professional sphere, whether it's your personal sphere, if you just keep pushing, things will change and get better. And uh, I think that's kind of what I wanted to, to point out with this. It's a huge win for me. Uh, a huge win for, uh, you know, my little trailer household thing I got going on here. Uh, we're all very excited. So uh, w- with that, I, I, I yield my time for count your wins. <laughs> no, dude, that's awesome. We're, we're all Buccaneers on this, uh, this podcast now. Go Bucks! <laughs> Go Bucks! So um, with that, let's quickly now flip the script. We're going to uh, taint this happiness uh, with uh, not necessarily malice or anger, but, uh, but the intercepted at the goal line of the week. This is our segment where uh, this is the worst of the week. This is you can bring it from sports, bring it from your personal life, bring it from wherever. We bring it to the table. We talk about it here. Jack Coachman, lead us off. No, oh, don't make me lead it off. Okay, uh, I'll lead go it off. Tyler, yeah, yeah, go, go. Or somebody. <laughs> 
I'll lead it off. I don't want to make Tyler bet first both times. So I'll lead off. Uh, mine comes from the world of sports. It just happened a couple of hour, hours ago as we're recording on the 27th, uh, about 530. Uh, Carson Wentz is once again looking for work. Uh, he has been released by the Washington Commanders. He will no longer be their quarterback. This will now be him looking for, I believe, his fourth team in as many years, which is crazy to think about this fall from grace for Carson Wentz. The number one draft pick looked like he was making the ascension to the upper ranks of the quarterback uh, uh, scales, if you will. Um, gets that knee injury. Wins a wins a Super Bowl with the Eagles. A couple of years later, gets sent to Indianapolis. From there, gets sent to Washington. Now, a a for real free agent with still uh, I think a lot of money owed to him from whichever team cut him. Um, oof! What a ride for him though. Like what? Like what a story to think about. Like number one pick to here. A small school number one pick too, right? This isn't like. Oh, we just overhyped another like major SEC quarterback or something. Like, no, you're coming from FCS. You're coming to yeah. the NFL, and uh, it's crazy too that as you're talking about that, I'm like, besides the fact that Carson Wentz has not shown that he's very good at playing quarterback compared to the rest of the NFL in the last couple of years, I actually feel like he'd be kind of good in the Eric Bieniemy offense. So, like, I feel like a lot of his skills are uh, maybe lesser versions of better quarterbacks, but like. I feel like his approach to offense isn't so different from Mahomes. Like, definitely takes gutsier throws, is mobile, could run, but doesn't really. It just is like he's a worse version. So I'm like, oh, that actually might have been a fine pairing. I actually see him as a worse version of Josh Allen. A less durable, worse version of Josh Allen. Big, had, like had the big arm at one point, doesn't necessarily have it now. Josh will make some risky throws all the time, but like, I don't know. Like he is, he is the poor, poor, poor man's version of of either one of those quarterbacks for sure. It would be awesome, Tyler, like if muted. we could hear you. No, we can't hear a thing. <laughs> Raw dog in that iPad, baby. <laughs> Your mouth is moving. <laughs> oh, hey, listen. Take a deep breath. I know you can hear me. We can't hear you. Take a deep breath. Oh, wait, actually, that's a bad way to do it. You're supposed to wait. Is in through, in the, through the nose, your nose, out through the mouth, right? In, yeah. <laughs> in through your nose, count for four. Hold, count for four. Exhale, count for four. You keep trying. I will keep Square doing breathing, breathing exercises. Called, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Square breathing. I learned. I that. will keep doing uh, breathing exercises with uh, with everybody as you figure out your audio. Uh, Welcome Yogi Ryan to the podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to shave my head and wear, and there he goes. Uh, <laughs> Drew the line there. <laughs> I can't do any more of that. No, we'll, we'll get him back in here when he gets back in here. But Jack, I mean, just the, you know, the, the storyline on Carson Wentz is a crazy one. Um, Tyler, can we hear you? I don't know. Can you? Yes. Yes, we can. Nice. Good commentary on, on, on Carson Wentz? <laughs> I feel bad about his like arc as a player though. Like you said, like first round draft pick, he started off really hot. Like Philly thought that he was the guy who was going to get him there. Right. And then he had took that unfortunate injury in the playoffs. So Nick Foles won it for him. Like you can't say that was Nick Foles season. Totally. Right. Um, And then just from there, like, you know, he had those series of injuries and then, 
now he's bouncing around. And it's just like so, so unfortunate to see like here he was the the hero of Philadelphia, and now he's free agent that even the commanders don't want. So it's it's just tough to see. I like that you mention it as if like the commanders are like. On the I mean, bottom of the list. Like there, if, if there, they don't want you, nobody wants you. Uh, I mean, how many guys? Not, they brought an XFL, an XFL player out of retirement to play for them. They, and he's probably going to be their starter next year. How, how many players have, like, been on Washington, gone somewhere else, and you're like, wow, Washington really let that guy go. <laughs> they just haven't had a lot of great exports either. <laughs> Albert Haynesworth. In like 2011? Like, no, I'm just saying like the list of guys that they brought in, they were like, hmm. And then they leave and like that's the last that's the last time you ever hear from them. It's like the, it's it's almost like that is the the final the it is, it's where elephants go to die. It's like Washington is where elephants die. And football right. players too. That's tough. Oh, uh. Okay, I got you on that. That took me a second, but I got you there. Give you a point um, So, uh, intercepted at the goal line, we've got mine. Uh, I need to hear from everybody else. You guys kind of decide. One. Oh, okay. No, life's, life's too, too good, good to good have to an have intercepted, intercepted this week. <laughs> um, I was going – so I had one thing down. I think I'm going to save it for later. Um, I had an interesting call today, and it made, what made me think of it was Ryan talking about uh, his new job. Um, so – I. I'm trying to find a job now, use my actual degree that I've earned. Um, and I had, a, I had a gentleman call me today and it was the worst like sales pitch to, to get someone to, to apply for a job that I think I've ever gotten. Not, I was on the phone, I was on the phone with this guy for around 35 minutes and he couldn't help himself but say the same exact things over and over again. Buzzwords. He made fun of engineers and called oh, them oh. geeky and um, slow. Oh my gosh! Um, and I'm an engineer, and I don't get me wrong. Engineers are they're different people. They're not as social. They're socially awkward a little bit, just because they're, you know, their main focus is like math and school and stuff, and. I had the benefit of being a part of the football team and, um, you know, just being in a more social setting where I, it's, it's not as hard for me. So this guy was trying to pitch me that engineers are nerdy. You're different than that. All right. They're going to give you a, a personality test first day. They want these like super outgoing people, like Dude, willing what? to take risks. And I'm like, okay. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you the first question. One through five, you you pick how how accurate this is to yourself. You are spontaneous. So I go so I go three. And he's like, What? I said three. I feel like I'm spontaneous sometimes, but I'm like it's not like an all the time thing. I'm not like just doing random stuff all the time. Tyler and, I, and the guy's like, Tyler, you're making me question if I if you really are good for this job. I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me because why would an engineer ever be spontaneous, even in this role? And so he goes on to explain what he meant by spontaneous, which was um, 
direct and like uh, decisive. <laughs> so not spontaneous like, at all. That sounds so fun. <laughs> That's what I said. I was like, "That's two completely different things." And he's like, "No, no, no, it's the same thing." I think we're just talking semantics here. Like, dude, you're completely wrong. Like, and then he's like, "Yeah, so if you, you know, if you think this is a good job for you, you know, um, you know, send me your resume." No, I don't want to send you my resume. You don't even know what spontaneous means. Oh, it sounds like, you're, sounds being like you're being pretty spontaneous, spontaneous with, him. with him. I was being. <laughs> I was being exactly what he wanted me to be direct. I gave him my answer. Like within a second, I was like three. What were you supposed to say though? Like eight or something? What what are you looking for? Out of five, he wanted a four or five, I guess. Whatever. (laughs) It sounds like he was was exactly exactly what he was asking you not to be. Like he was he what was he didn't want you to be. Pulled out the Likert, out the Likert scale for an over-the-phone over question. Over the phone question. Oh, that's the oh, least spontaneous thing. Well, and even Nicole, my girlfriend, was listening, and she's like, "This doesn't even make sense." Like, <laughs> what were you? Were you trying to get a job in like a secret society or something? Was there some extra level that you were supposed to know about? Yeah, I had to donate like two hundred dollars right now, and then I got like the advanced placement does a joke jeez jeez Scientology you know so flat, so flat. I, I get <laughs> it I, I get it I'm trying to troubleshoot trying to trouble on my end I'm off I'm off today no you're no, you're 100% you're on, on. I'm, just on. I'm just troubleshooting on my end because I can hear myself twice <laughs> are we good wait Wait, Tyler, say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's oh, there. He's We're there. good. We're fine. Yeah, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to figure out the audio. Fun. Okay. Um, we're moving forward. Uh, oh, Jack, it is college basketball season. This is where you thrive. Uh, and this is actually coming down the home stretch of college basketball season, which is, I think, even more where you thrive. We're getting into the uh, conference tournament season for for multiple conferences over you know this week, next, and I think maybe even the week after that before we get into March Madness. And so, uh, with all of this fun stuff coming up, I kind of wanted to open the floor up to you uh, to just kind of. Welcome people to college basketball. Maybe somebody out there has been wanting to watch it and they don't know how to watch it. You are uh, to some extent an an expert on some of these things. Um, So I wanted to kind of open the floor to you to uh, uh, recruit some players, some watchers with non NIL deals to watch uh, college basketball uh, here this spring. Yeah, for sure. I think, and this is always one of the tricky things with something that you like or something that you're passionate about is you just want people to get in in any way, right? Like if I put out an album music and you hate nine of the songs, but you love one of them, but you took the time to listen, you're like, oh, I like that one. Like, all right, cool. Like that's huge for me. I don't care that you didn't like it. You gave it a shot. And I think not enough people have given college basketball a shot because it's never the biggest thing while it's going on, right? College basketball invitational season in the fall starts up while college football is ending Uh, NBA is starting. It's always overshadowed. But this is the time if you're like, I can't dedicate a whole college basketball season. Postseason starts actually in uh, about a half hour uh, with the first 
conference tournament. So what I love most about college basketball, like this time of year is I think it has one of the most interesting competitive formats in any organized sport in the world. Uh, I would say pretty definitely the most interesting in North America, because depending on how you phrase it, we're actually starting the NCAA championship March today. It is a single elimination tournament starting today for some teams because every conference holds their own individual tournament with just their teams seeded and ranked based on their performance in the conference season. And most conferences will only send one, maybe two teams to March Madness. You have your big ones, the big 10, you know, we're going to have nine teams. The PAC 12 is going to send six teams or something, but there's a lot of little conferences and that's what populates our 12 through 16 seeds when the big bracket comes out. And uh, those games, honestly, are are just as important for the teams. But if you just like March Madness, you get a little leg up on other people by watching this pre-March Madness playoffs. Because now you're like, oh, I actually watched this team and they were pretty good. Or this is a story I heard about and I want to follow. So I don't know. Would you guys have experience where you're like, you get into a team at the start of March Madness, like the actual big dance, because there's all those either like sappy stories or kind of fun narratives and stuff, but then they just like disappear. Like what's been your exposure with college basketball storytelling? Storytelling. Either. I'm not a huge basketball guy. I typically like join in when the tournament starts, like for my school. Um, When I was at Western Kentucky, it was the same way. And then Purdue, Purdue, I was, I've been very fortunate because they're a very good basketball school. So, um, you know, I typically just try to keep up with them during the tournament. Me and my friends would go go to the bar, watch the games and stuff. So um, that's typically my tradition. I don't really run with a team. I just kind of watch what I can because, again, I'm not a huge basketball fan. So I don't, you know, I don't get as excited as you do when, when the season starts. My college basketball, like, watching experience and I guess uh, story – observing experiences is exactly that. Like I observe some of the stories over the course of the, the, of the season. And then when it comes time to pick the bracket that nobody will ever get perfect. Um, <clears throat> I just kind of try to remember the storylines from the season. You know, I think it was last year where nobody wanted the number one seed and, and nobody had really any good idea of how to pick their brackets and stuff like that. That was for me. I was just like, let's make some random guesses and pick schools that are traditionally pretty good in March Madness. Now, I know that this year the the Big Ten has been incredible. I know that uh, Purdue has been battling for that number one spot all season. Uh, I know that, you know, there's been a lot of kind of turnover at that number one spot. And especially, you know, in the top five, there's been some turnover. So I know that it's been a fairly uh, competitive season. And so, again, I kind of bring it back to you, Jack, and like ask what are some of the biggest storylines from this season and uh, maybe the ones that haven't wrapped up yet? Like what are some of the open-ended ones that like as we approach the conference tournament season, as we approach – March Madness, what are some of those storylines that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, and with full transparency, this is probably the least college basketball I've watched in six or seven years. I still watch a decent amount, but uh, definitely haven't been as like observant as much as just following along. Uh, and you're right, there's been a little bit of turnover in the, in the top section. You know, North Carolina's not as good as they always have been. Gonzaga's fallen off, even though they used to run through everybody in the regular season. Uh, Houston has been a really strong team, and they were good last year. So you've got some... Teams rising up that have been good, but not the best. Teams that have been the best that are kind of falling down. 
Um, and honestly, those things will flesh themselves out much more when the major conference tournaments start. Um, but I think one of the spectacles of March Madness, and you kind of have to frame conference tournament season with regard to March Madness, because like you guys said, that's the thing people care about, right? Is like, who gives a darn about November, December, January, even end of February, right? Like once you get that email from a friend that's like, join my bracket pool, or it's like, oh, here's a squares pool you can sign up for. Or, oh my gosh, there's major network broadcasting sports at 11 a.m. on a Thursday. Like until all of that stuff happens, it's not too interesting for a lot of people, which is fair. But then you get like the Loyola Chicago sister Jean, or you get the Monmouth bench mob, or you get who was last year, St. Peter's, you know, Doug Eater, the guy that like had the face that everyone could remember. Those sort of characters get these major platforms once March Madness hits. Oh, yes. It looked like Tyler had something to say. No, never mind. I, I didn't have to raise my I, I wasn't raising my hand. I was like, it's my iPad making noises. Jack was talking, and like, it's like a demon was talking to me through the speaker. Of my, my boy, iPad. you really don't like basketball. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like, embrace it. <laughs> uh, no, you're good. But, um, yeah, I think this is cool because you get all the like small schools and like Tyler, you were saying Purdue, Western Kentucky, like when they were in it, you're following along. Purdue's a lot easier to follow along because they are getting nationally televised games. They're more regularly in the tournament. Um, but I feel like people get attached to the Cinderella stories and the underdogs. And it's like it, the Netflix recommended. If you like this, let me tell you what else. Like we've got 25 to 30 examples of that going on over the next couple weeks. Um, and I think. This is something that I go back and forth on because I don't really like college football. And maybe part of it is it feels more commercial to me than college basketball in the scheme of the sports of it. But definitely the argument pro college sports uh, like spectatorship is that you have players that have very defined windows of time, right? All of the athletes are competing for however long they're eligible. And so whether it's at the beginning when they're trying to make a name or the end when they realize that they're either going pro or this might be the last time they really play at the top level of their sport, like you have people who are playing their hardest. And that is part of the story of March Madness is like these guys might be playing their last game. You don't know when your last one's going to be because that's how single elimination works. And all of these conference tournaments are also single elimination. So if you like that sort of uh, like evocative emotion. If you like the feeling of, oh my gosh, you don't get to see this sort of passion in sports that often. Like it's on display for multiple weeks, schools across the country, players in cities you've never heard of or states you forgot existed. And it's really balanced competition. And everything now is able to be watched. Everything's either on like linear TV, uh, cable networks or streaming platforms. And sometimes it's the conference has their own streaming. Sometimes it's an ESPN plus or a Paramount plus or something, but like this is such picture, picture the world cup. We didn't talk too much about the world cup when it was going on. We touched on it here or there, but you have this massive event that is inclusive of literally everyone. Every country has the opportunity to qualify for the world cup every few years. And people watch because this is the best of all. And that's where the, I'll, I'll get to it. My final point that I'll touch on before we can swing it to another topic or, or pivot within this one. I'll talk about the competitive format in a little bit. 
Um, but I'm going to take a quick pause to see if you guys have any uh, responses. Have I inspired you yet? Is there something that you feel like is still missing to hook you in? What do I have to do to sell you? Well, I think that college basketball in general is sometimes hard to consume because the turnover rate on players is always so high. Like it's not always that you're going to get like, uh, is it, is it drew Timmy from Gonzaga? <clears throat> it's not always that you're going to get a player like, like Timmy who's there for three, four years and dominating at that school. It's typically you get like your Zions, you get your one and uh, Lamellos, you're one and done. Exactly. You get your Anthony one and done. So yeah. I think that it's, it's difficult sometimes for people to get truly invested in the rosters and, and, and the schools, because even when they're not one and done now with uh, the transfer portal and NIL deals and stuff like that, like, truthfully it's like free agency i mean we've talked about it in college football but with with uh with college basketball i feel like it's 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 even on steroids at times um and so i think that's one of the hardest access points for me is like trying to get really invested in in a roster of guys when typically there's there is a lot of turnover year to year on on a team um which i think is again kind of one of my impasses when i get to kind of start watching and stuff like i don't remember any of these guys what I will say is one of the things that draws me in no matter what every single year is the fact that there are going to be upsets. There are going to be like soul crushing moments and also like moments of jubilation that coexist. They are the same moment, but for different teams. And it's one of those things that in sports, it's it's one of the only places you can get that feeling. You know, it's one of the only places you can get that true like, oh, my God, this is incredible. But also, oh, my God that 18 year old is is crying or that that 22 year old is crying because he just played his last game ever and like that's like the uh the abc the wide world of sports right is like the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat like for yeah. somebody to win in sports somebody else has to lose every time the, the awful awful stench of defeat <laughs> yeah <laughs> good one so that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, with with college basketball. I will be there. I will be at March Madness. I will be watching. But like, you know, I will now. also be get in now. Get in now. I'll, you don't have you, to wait till March Madness. For you, I will do it. For you, I'll risk it all, Jack Coachman. <laughs> Tyler, what you got? You look like you're uh, poking your hand up hand there. Up there. It's all right. The moment has passed. No, 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 get in on the moment, damn it. Bring the, Bring the moment back. back. I was just remembering last year, uh, who was it? Uh, St. Peter's, the Peacocks, mm-hmm. upsetting uh, Purdue. Um, we were all, I think we were at the bar. We were all, yeah, I think we were all at uh, Harry's in West Lafayette when we were watching the game, and it was, you could hear a pin drop. Um, gut-wrenching. So being on that side of defeat is, is awful, and Again, like, and then like a couple weeks later, we uh, we were watching UNC Duke, and we were cheering for UNC because we were we were Duke haters. And then, I mean, they they came through and won. And it was a, such a good game, like throughout the whole thing. I just don't. I think for me, it's like the the length of the season. Like, I I don't know if I have it in me. Like, it's it's the same thing with me for baseball. Like, baseball is like so long. Like. Yeah, and I can watch it every once in a while for sure. You know, a couple games maybe a week, but like there's just so much. It's like almost overwhelming, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the truth of it is is, across sports, you have the top, 
right? In NFL, that's the Super Bowl. More people watch the Super Bowl by far than will watch any other game. In MLB, it's the World Series. Like the difference even between the World Series and like early playoff baseball is so starkly different, right? The NBA playoffs, people will watch the NBA playoffs, but then the finals, everybody puts that gold standard. Somehow, well, college football has leveraged this too now that they've had a playoff format. College basketball has managed to leverage it into a 68-team tournament that is the finals. Like There is not a significant increase in viewership in the same way of the finals of March Madness versus early round play because of how they've structured the event. And if you're willing to accept that, then I would say that the conference tournaments are the wild card round of the NFL playoffs, are the wild card round of the MLB playoffs. We're like, if you like it and you want to know more, you'll watch. And so more people will watch. The viewing numbers won't be great because there's also hundreds of games to watch instead of, you know, a few. But if you just hone in on a few, if you're like, you know what, I really only care about the teams that I think are going to go far anyways. All right, watch the ACC tournament. Like, watch North Carolina Duke play in their own semifinals, even though they've both probably secured a spot in the tournament year over year. There's still meaning to that, even though it's not the big game. And that's the last point I'll make is I think this competitive format is unmatched in North American sports. Uh, I I think the fact that you can get everybody a chance with the small asterisk of, for whatever reason, teams that have reassigned themselves to new divisions, uh, D2 to D1, they have eligibility issues with March Madness and stuff. Outside of... Yeah, yeah, Bellarmine, Queens College, both of them playing today. You will not see them in March Madness, even if they win their conference tournament. The auto bid will go to the one seed, I believe, not the runner-up even. So that's kind of fishy. But other than that, every team's in it. Uh, Ohio State has not been great this year. They're not going to make the tournament unless they go on a run in their conference tournament. And so these guys know that even though at no point in the last three months has it looked like Ohio State will play in March Madness beyond a shadow of a doubt, they still are mathematically in it because you can win your way in. And that is so unique because it makes the regular season important. You want to win your games. You want to position yourself in a way where you'll make it even if you don't win this conference tournament. But if you have a star player who gets hurt and misses two months of the regular season, or if you made a really tough non-conference schedule and you ended up losing all those games because you booked them three years ago, you're not screwed. It's not over. Like there is still work to be done and there is no other sport that I can think of in the North American sports league, even across most uh, international sports as well, where you can be this late in a season and everybody's in it. And that's, if you think that's exciting, then watch them be in it. Watch their opportunities, watch them rise, watch them fade away. And like you said, right, the awesome times of players who think that they're going to be done and a lot of schools have either siblings or uh, kids of parents who played there. Like college innately has more of a draw, and that's what makes college football so interesting too. It's like, oh man, it, it, forget about the actual on sport, on court product. If you like basketball, you'll be fine. If you don't like basketball, I actually think there's a world where you can persevere through because the narrative of college basketball is so much more impressive than almost any other sport. I will anyway. say, I will say, that I think if there's one sport that does rival the uh, competitive format once we get to playoffs and things, it is college baseball, college softball, because yes. there are the conference tournaments. Exactly. 
You can be god awful all year, and come the end of the year, if you win out in your conference tournament, congratulations, you're going to the regionals. You are probably going to get absolutely annihilated in regionals. But the fact of the matter is, you, you made it right. You got the chance. No, you're right, and that's that's why, especially with ESPN having a larger hand in that, that's why I think. Uh, like the college softball world series and the college baseball world series have risen in popularity over the last few years and are becoming more watched sports. A, they're more accessible for people to watch. So obviously that helps, but B, I think this is a way for people to go, Oh my gosh, this is meaningful baseball to watch at a time when your actual main baseball is less meaningful. And it's the same with basketball is like right now, not every NBA game matters a ton, but every college basketball game, has a great impact on how this tournament is set up. You might even say that there are fewer games right now that matter in basket in professional basketball. There are fewer games that matter than games that do matter. Did I say yes. that right? Yes. yes, there are probably more games that have no impact or really are not going to change things too much than games that will have an impact. And even college basketball within itself is going through that. Like, Baylor at Oklahoma State today. That is one of the top 25 teams in the country going against a conference opponent. Should be a great game. I don't care about that game. You want to know why? Because the Atlantic Sun Tournament is starting, and I need to know if Florida Gulf Coast can reinvent their Dunk City spark from years ago and make a run as a 10 seed in their own conference tournament. Right? Because Baylor's going to make it. What do I care if they win this game? They're going to to have a high seed anyways, and sure, every game counts in every sport, but the magnitude of games is why we like to watch the finals of things more than the regular season, because they mean more, right? 100%. There is another important topic that we must get to that I at least want to get to during episode 23. Shout out to the Jordan year podcast though, right? Like Draymond this is here. <clears throat> yeah, Draymond here. <laughs> a real goat. Um, we do need to come around on baseball. Um, I, I had to bring it up. Jack, I gave you your space. I let you do your college basketball thing. It's time I'm for me to I'm not opposed to baseball. I feel I like know, I've been painted as too big of a baseball hater on this show. But you painted yourself. Well, there are certainly things that I do really hate about baseball, but I don't want it to like dissolve. I don't want baseball to be gone. I just want it to be better. Well, That's one what of the things fans want too. Uh, 100%. I think a lot, one of the things that a lot of people have disliked about baseball is its slow pace and its nature to be slow in between action as well. And by action, I mean literally just putting a ball in between the lines. It doesn't have to be a hit. A fly ball to left field is action in a game. Will it be caught? Will it not be caught? Chances are yes, but there's also that element of, ooh, what's going to happen here? It's it's getting more action to happen. That was my best Tony Romo a second ago, ooh. by the way. Um <laughs> So today on Blank You Very Much, I bring to the table the question, I feel blank about the pitch clock being installed. Tyler, I know that you had one take that you really wanted to bring to the table on this, uh, so I want you to kind of lead us here. So I I actually watched baseball um, because I wanted to see the changes, and um, you know I was watching it with my dad, and the first time I've done that in a while. Um, but sitting down and watching the White Sox uh, play, and you know you could definitely see the the differences, and I, and I think it's a, a genuinely good thing. Right now, the the trend on Twitter is posting videos of co- comparisons between one pitch versus 
uh, someone with the pitch clock right now. And the early example I got was Jose Altuve uh, scoring on an inside-the-park home run versus this one pitch. He scored seven times. He ran around the bases seven full times um, before this guy threw one pitch pre-pitch uh, clock era. Right. So the, the, the question that was kind of juxtaposed was – how many times can Altuve run around the bases versus uh, in the time that takes just one guy to set up for one singular pitch? Yes. Seven times around the bases for the shortest man in baseball. Seven times. He oh. threw he threw back to second a couple times. He took forever getting out of the mound. He stepped off a couple times. Like it was – I mean, it was ridiculous. The – the one that I just saw was the comparison between that same clip um, of the, the one pitch versus one guy pitching a full inning with the pitch clock. So, I mean, that comparison alone is, I mean, it's going to save so much time games. Listen, this is the interesting part about the pitch clock is when you, when you compare the game time of an NFL game and the action time of an NFL game, they are almost identical to the runtime and action time of an MLB game. I've talked about it on this podcast before. I talk about it ad nauseum when I talk about baseball in general. The time between action is what matters in these changes, right? We are talking about every 40 seconds, a brand new play happens in the NFL. Will it be a 60-yard bomb? Will it be a, a, a run that gets ripped off for 40 yards? Will, it, will there be an interception, a turnover? What could happen? Like the, the, the anxiety, the anticipation of every play in football matters. So every 40 seconds, you're getting action. In baseball, sometimes it's three and a half minutes before there's a ground out to shortstop. And so all of these rules are designed to help bring more action to you quicker. And I don't think that there is a problem with that. I am very happy that in the, in the, the brief time that we've seen the pitch clock installed in MLB baseball, the major leagues, it's been in the minor leagues, but in the, the three days now that we've had a pitch clock in major league baseball, I have seen no critique by Major Major League Baseball players. Everybody seems to be okay with it. I think everybody maybe has to be okay with it. They, there maybe uh, has been some agreement behind closed doors that we're not going to openly talk about this. We want it to be accepted by the fans. We don't want them to have an extra avenue to maybe dislike this thing. But at the end of the day, I think it's incredibly compelling. There was a game. It was Red Sox-Braves in a dream situation. Tie game, bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded, two outs, and the game ended on a, on, a, on, a, on a violation. The batter didn't get in the box with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. An automatic strike is called, and the game's over. It ends in a tie because it's a spring training game. That is so crazy that that can happen. Like, Put that on a 162-game Sample size. There's bound to be a couple of situations like that where, oh, my God, bases were loaded. And with, you know, uh, three balls to the count, the pitcher didn't throw the ball in 20 seconds. And we just got the lead by happenstance. 
Like yep. that is, I think that's very cool. And I think that my dad said it great. I was talking to him earlier on the phone. I think he, he said it wonderfully and saying, if you're keeping score, which I don't know how many people keep score today outside of me and uh, some 70 year olds that sit in the bleachers. Uh, but if you're keeping score, you can't go to the bathroom. You, you can't get up and leave because you don't know what might happen. Also now with the bases being bigger, like it's going to massage the running game. People are going to run more. Pitchers can only step off and throw over two times an inning. Like this is going to matter so much more to baseball than people think. And I haven't heard any critiques of it. So how do I feel about the pitch clock? I feel great about it. And even that little thing in the back of my head that says this is encringing upon the fabric of the game. <laughs> I even shut him down and say, yeah, but we are in 2023 and things have to happen to keep us kind of modernized and keep us on pace. Tyler, you bring up an excellent point. Pedro Baez is the pitcher that you're talking about, and he is not the only perpetrator of taking forever to throw the ball. Let's look locally here. You guys are both White Sox fans. Michael Kopech is one of the slowest pitchers I've ever seen in my life. He'll walk around slower, I think. And he'll walk around the mound three times before he's ready to throw another pitch just to throw 104 over somebody's head. <laughs> you know, I watched this weekend Max Scherzer strike out uh, Joey Manessis of the Nationals. I watched Max Scherzer strike him out in 27 seconds. That's so cool. Like, that's so cool to say. It's insane. That, how that happens is only through this rule. Scherzer's not getting that ball and going. And it's crazy to see the timing of the batter so like messed up. He was absolutely derailed by the fact that Scherzer said, okay, pump you a fastball. Give me that ball back. Pump you another fastball. We are 15 seconds into the exchange before Scherzer says, okay, here we go. And throw another one at him. Joey Manessa started looking around like, what just happened? The fact that you can mess with timing like that now um, I think is is very cool. I, I just I think that we need to see this over the course of a season. There's going to be um, different iterations of this. We're going to see loopholes exposed already. Uh, Boog Shambi, play-by-play guy for the Cubs, made an excellent point. The loophole already is that the pitch clock doesn't start until the ball hits the pitcher's mitt. So what's the loophole? Your catcher hangs onto the ball. And who's controlling the pace of the game anyway now? It the catcher, right? So like if he sees his pitchers laboring, if Max Scherzer can't get it done in 27 seconds, well, you know, now we're just going to hang on to the ball for a second, wait for him to catch his breath. Now throw it back. Now we've just effectively made 40 seconds for him. Do I think that's going to happen all the time? No, but it's there. It's available, you know? So we're still figuring some things out. The main thing that I've been telling anybody who doesn't like it or has some sort of criticisms, and I've said it here before, it took the NFL seven years to figure out what a catch is, and we still don't know what a catch is. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the player's willingness to try is always a telling thing too, right? Like, th- take the NFL as an example. Fans will get their fires fueled by the fact that players disagree with the way that some things happen on the field. And if the players don't like it, then we probably don't either. And the fact that we haven't heard MLB players, who have over the last few years become increasingly uh, vocal about things that they don't like in the game, at least a handful, that that's probably a good sign. It doesn't mean that they like it yet, but it means that they're giving it a try. And that's why I would say I feel excited about the pitch clock being installed because this is not necessarily what baseball will be for the rest of time, but 
this is a step in the direction of how we want baseball to look. Maybe it's a little off the path. Maybe it's exactly where we're headed. But I, I think the idea that they're changing it is super exciting because it, it, forget about baseball's ways, uh, just any sport. When they take this innovative of a step for any reason, it has to be fascinating because we don't, it's like any given play. We don't know if it'll work or not, but it feels different. And it shows that they're trying to change, which has been baseball's biggest problem for years is, like you said, that little guy in the back of your head doesn't want change. But change doesn't have to be bad. It just might be hard. And so I'm very excited about how this is working. And I'm very interested to see how baseball pundits react and how things change as time goes on. Do we learn more loopholes? Do we close them up? Do we uh, figure out, like, there was somebody complaining. I had seen a few on Twitter of... Uh, the game's going too fast now, but you look and pitchers aren't using the full clock. Batters aren't using the, they can choose to go faster than it. It's very similar to tennis when they added a serve clock. Everyone's like, why should you mandate how much time it takes? It's like, well, because it's on both parties. The pitcher has to be ready and the batter has to be ready by a certain time, just as the server and returner. This isn't a one-sided issue. This is, we're altering the game a little bit. So no, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see what happens. I, I, I'm, I'm very excited for it. I think that, you know, when you look at who is in charge of making some of these decisions, it's Theo Epstein, who is quite literally his very he's he's his own thinker. The issues that we've seen with baseball, the three true outcomes and things like that were technically his doing and uh, the the way that rosters were kind of constructed and things. But it, it revolutionized the game to a certain extent. But. Who can have the foresight 10, 15 years down the road to see like, oh, this isn't going to be good for the game. It's only going to be good for predicting how the roster should look. So then when he leaves the Cubs, he goes to the front office. And now we're in this situation where he's currently trying to undo some of the some of his doings over the past two decades of him running baseball teams. And I think, honestly, if this is a successful thing, the next commissioner of baseball is Theo Epstein. Um, Call it a hot take, call it whatever you want. I just think that that is the next step for him uh, if things go well here. Um, And so to kind of close this thing out, I bring it back to Tyler to ask uh, an official, I feel blank about the pitch clock. I don't know. Maybe I was just too excited to talk about this and didn't hear your actual answer. Uh, but what is your fill-in-the-blank here? Thank you. I feel excited about it. I think <clears throat> one of the things that you were touching on that just made me start to think was with Max Scherzer uh, speeding up as, as much as he did, do you see a rise in tempo pitchers, like almost like a tempo offense for football? Do you see pitchers that go out there and are strictly that? Um, you know, to catch them off balance. And then you bring in a reliever who's a lot slower to mess with the batter's timing. Like these are different scenarios that could play out now and make it just that much more interesting just with one little change, I think. I think that it's a, a, a beautiful thing you bring up, right? Like when you think about the way a bullpen is constructed, do you have a guy who is just like a crazy cardio, like, berserker who's able to come in and like finish off an inning in a minute because he's just like get the ball go get the ball go get the ball go is you know that's obviously hyperbolic but like you have your long innings guys that when the starter can't go five innings they're in to eat up three or four and you've got closers and setup men and you know guys who can only work an inning do you now have tempo guys do you have guys that you throw in there to say okay you throw fast these guys are taking their time today. We think that we can really capitalize on 
this inning, we get through their three, four, five, or their four, five, six with our tempo guy, just absolutely blowing them away with whatever stuff he's got. And if you are a tempo guy and you've got a fastball at 99 and a slider at 82 and a changeup at, you know, 81, like you're going to absolutely murder people. So I think it's, I think it's a great thing to think about. And I think, and maybe this, again, I am willing, always willing to admit my biases, but I think that this is also one of the wonderful things about baseball is like, I think the, the thinking and like the, the makeup and the strategy and things is one of the most beautiful things about the game of baseball. And does the new, do the new rules change some of your strategies? Of course they do, but it also adds new strategies into the game. Do you think that strategy in baseball had been watered down a bit in the past like six to seven years comparatively from like other changes? Because that that's one thing that I sort of felt, but also Ooh. I don't know the ins and outs that I'm excited because I think this brings more tactics back to baseball. But I felt like the baseball, each baseball game had become over the last maybe decade increasingly normalized where most teams were playing the same way. Uh, the model was similar and a lot of managers sort of operated at a replaceable level. Whereas now I think there's more value on like a tactician or like somebody who can live react to things quickly. You don't just go in with a game plan and ride it out each day. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that, I think that that's exactly the reason, like the, the thing that you bring up this, like everything feels very watered down and feels very much uniform and stuff like that is exactly what happened to offenses, right? Like these three true outcomes that I bring up, like the home run strikeout, or walks, those are the only three things that we want out of out of our offense. Like that happens all over the field. When that's what the offenses are predicated on, you can then predicate your defense on stopping that. And so, yes, things are going to start feeling more and more uniform. And so when you throw a major wrench in the plans and completely switch up the way things are done, yeah, it's going to revolutionize the way that people think because it has to revolutionize the way people right. think. Right. You know, you got to figure it out to stay up there. Exactly. And and again, Tyler, I think the the bringing up the idea of a tempo pitcher is somebody that's on your roster and like this is your this is your thing. And also the existence of like a, a, a Terrence Gore or a Billy Hamilton or like these guys who are very specifically late season ads to make sure that you have a base stealer in the playoffs. They there is going to be a place for them on the on the 25, 26 man roster moving forward for possibly 162 games, because now speed is so much more important to the build of your roster because the, the, the bases are bigger. And again, the pitcher can only step off twice and there's a timer. There's a literal fucking timer that says, okay, if he's not throwing over with a second left, I can time this and go. And that's what they want. Like stealing bases is fun. And, and action is fun. And baseball this season, I think, is going to be way more fun. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. Is the game more fun? I don't care about your grandpa's version of baseball. I don't care about my version of baseball from five years ago. Yawn. What I care about is the advancement of this game and the modernization of this game so that more people can enjoy it with the enthusiasm that I do, right? And and I will adapt and I hope other people do, too. And I hope that this, this brings more people to the game because it's it's the greatest sport in the world, in my opinion. Um, and it's the only thing on in the summer. So you better fucking like it. So <laughs> I, 
Uh, very productive conversation here. I love this. I, I, I love talking baseball on this podcast. I don't know if you can see my eyes light up. Uh, and I want to keep it on baseball for just a second as we move into low-hanging fruit. Um, again, you guys are White Sox fans. Um this is going to start as something that I don't want to make fun of at all and conclude with something that we can definitely poke fun at. Um, so uh, Mike Clavenger was a offseason ad, the one of the only offseason ads for the Chicago White Sox. And Mike Clevenger has been around the league with a couple of different organization organizations, has a reputation that kind of precedes him. Um, I can't say anything with certainty. These are all only alleged uh, accusations of him. But uh, over the offseason, there was a major story that broke about Mike Clevenger in, in possible situations of uh, domestic abuse, a, a domestic assault with his uh, with his uh, assumed former wife, uh, could be current wife. Either way, um, you know, he is he's faced this. The White Sox have handled it with the discretion that you would think they would handle it with. None. Um, he shouldn't, in, in my opinion, a guy like that shouldn't probably be on your roster, especially when you're investing one year and a couple million dollars into him. That's somebody that you could say, mm, we're probably better without the sideshow this year, given where our team has been the past couple of years. Uh, also, not to minimize domestic abuse is calling it a sideshow, just what it would probably be seen as from a organizational standpoint. But uh, recently, 670 to the score, the Spiegeling, uh, Spiegans. Parkins and Spiegel show had uh, his uh, his ex-wife and the the victim of the domestic abuse on to talk about the situation and kind of, uh, you know, uh, tell her side of the story. They were very journalistic about it. I thought I listened back to their interview. And now here is the part of the the story that we can kind of poke fun at Uh, Mike Clevenger. Contacted the show saying that his lawyers are going to sue them for defamation and that they are listening to the show and that they are, you know, he, he was very much trying to uh, big dick them, so to speak, like my lawyers and this and that and legal speak. And I think that it's it's incredibly funny to listen to somebody who may or may not have perpetrated this thing, uh, but also has the reputation to precede him to then go to a radio station, which is covering things journalistically, which is what you do if you are a, a radio personality, journalist, et cetera, uh, I think that it's incredibly funny for somebody to go and try to do this sort of thing. It just seems like the type of thing that somebody who did something would do to try to cover up the fact that they're not actually doing I, Regardless of, of it all, I think that it's a kind of low-hanging fruit. Uh, I wanted to kind of bring it to the table, see what you guys thought. Uh, maybe I didn't set it up the best way, but either way, I bring it to you guys. Anybody. Anybody. I mean, I, th- I definitely think it's an important conversation to have, right? Like, uh, the fact that they were willing to sit down with the victim and get her side of it, like, I feel like that's something that's so not customary in, like, our media, like, in the sphere of media. Like, you, you see a lot of, like, oh, it's the baseball player side of it or the athlete side of it, and you don't really hear about the, the victim until further on down the road. Um and it's so important to, especially to get her side and them being like a Chicago based radio station. And, you know, it's not like it was just like a general, like a newspaper outlet or like another media outlet that that's, wasn't integrated in sports. Like the fact that it was the score was just 
one of the biggest sports radio stations in the Chicago area. Like it's, it, I think it is very important that it happened. But again, like you said, like the fact that you're cut, like, Oh, I'm going to sue you for defamation. Like if you have nothing to hide, then wouldn't you kind of just be silent? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's the, uh, taking a page out of the recent Brett Favre playbook, right? They're like, well, and I guess if you were to really just think about it purely logically and take the emotion of the situation out of it, which is not the right way to approach it. But if you did, uh, you would understand, like, yeah, if you're being wrongfully accused of something on a public platform, like uh, slander, libel, defamation, like these are things that people actually do have to seek out sometimes. But I think especially in the wake of Brett Favre lashing out at different like national media groups and being like, Oh, well, actually, you know, you, you want to talk lawsuits where you're going to get in a defamation suit with the, me and my lawyer. And it's like you might have defrauded a whole state out of millions of welfare money for like a volleyball court. So you probably the, the point here is you don't want this attention on you. And especially for a guy like Mike Clevenger is not a uh, hometown hero by any stretch of it. This is like you said, he's short time. It's going to be a short stint at maximum, regardless of how this turns out, a one year deal and probably not coming back for too many more seasons. Also most famously played for a division rival of the Chicago White Sox. So it's like, you're not getting the community on your side with this. It's just, I guess like, you know, trying to catch up extra bundle of money or something like, yeah, if I get something out of this, maybe the court sees it my way. And then I also get it from these guys, but why dude? Like just, I don't know. Let it be right. My, I guess, I guess the the humor that I find in this, because the things that we bring to the table in this uh, segment are supposed to be somewhat uh, humorous, is is maybe not like an uh, a belly laugh chuckle, but more of just like a, ain't that just a bitch, right? Like, uh, for for him to for him to kind of come out publicly and, and and try to defend this instead of just trying to just you know lay low, whatever. Like, I just I just think it's funny that the way. Things are, are handled sometimes. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it justice on, on how I feel because I, I, I do find a certain amount of, of, of humor in a situation like this. Um, That's like it's, a it's, ride, it's like farcical. A humor, right? It's like a it's, it, exactly it tormented. I think is the right word. It's like a how how are we here? How is this guy a guy Bingo. that I know and I have to listen to this? What had to happen for this to be the thing that I have to hear about multiple times in a week? Like. It's cosmic, this is right? Why I keep Jack Coachman around? You're like my <laughs> anger translator. <laughs> Every time when I get a little bit too deep into a half baked idea, uh, Jack Coachman is there to pull me out. He's like, "Come on, come on." Uh, we also have more low hanging fruit, far less contentious, way more fun, and uh, a couple of, of beaks involved as well, Tyler. My low hanging fruit this week is. Uh, well, it's it's combine week, um, and the the horror whoa whoa whoa, whoa 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 back up. Well, I thought we were talking about parrots. I switched. Uh, yeah, yeah, he switched. switched up. So now I'm talking about beaks, and everybody thinks I'm crazy. It was a weird transition to begin with. Let's hear about the combine. <laughs> it's it's known for the the horrendous takes. I I saw a take today from one of the top analysts say that Bryce Young is measured officially at 510 and that is going to severely alter his future and everyone should not consider him a top prospect anymore when in reality he's going to be still a top five pick like it's just these like over just super like blasphemous things like oh his hands are small he's got nine inch hands like 
Right. Like Go. just silly, silly stuff. Like, <laughs> you're going to, and you're going to hear it all this week as, as the measurements come out uh, day one. And then us, the, you know, the 40 yard dash comes out and you're going to hear about all these crazy, Oh, well, this is like super, a super good 40 for someone. Or it's like this guy ran his 40 too slow. And there are people who make their decisions strictly on these numbers that in the grand scheme of things don't mean anything. So enjoy the shit show of the combine and I'll still watch it. And I enjoy, I enjoy watching. I have uh, five former teammates uh, on in the combine this year. So I'm super excited to watch them and uh, you know, wishing them well, obviously, but I really hope they're not the victim of all these critiques that, that in the grand scheme of things don't mean anything. So is there a worse segment of sports social media, uh, this I think is bottom two for me, and I'm not sure which, than like overindulgent combine heads. Because you're right, like watching the combine is a cool thing, and you're like, oh my gosh, these people are so good. They're, like, how did this guy not get drafted? I watched him do some crazy things on TV. Why is he going on day two? And it's like they're all just so impressive of just like physical specimens. And then you have the people like you're talking about where it's like, Oh yeah. So actually his like thumb to pinky length is in such a way where really maybe plateaus as like a backup journeyman quarterback or something. You're like, what are you talking about? That has to be the worst sports social media Twitter thing. Can you guys think of anything worse than that? I, I agree that it is the worst, <laughs> but like in the grand scheme of things, like what, what does this matter to you? Like, I'm hitting someone in the chest or like, like I'm trying to block someone like this doesn't matter to anyone. Or like, I, I guess like you, you, the, the hand size goes like it uh, correlates with like the, the ball of the NFL. Like in, the, in reality, if they can throw a football, they can throw a football. Like they've been training with this for months. Like you don't think they can sling it. Like they're going to do their pro day and the combine stuff with the ball. But God forbid they get measured at like a nine inch freaking pinky to thumb. <laughs> like it's it's the most stupid thing ever about the combine and the pre-draft process, in my opinion. Listen, I think the combine has a purpose, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Like you 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 have to have these things tested. Like you're making a, an investment into your future. If you're a top five drafter, if you're if you're a top 10, 15 drafter, you are making a gigantic investment into the future of your organization and its success. So you want to know absolutely everything you can about these players. But I will say that every year we see somebody who does phenomenally at the combine. They shoot up draft boards. Everybody's already making assumptions of who it's going to be. There are two quarterbacks in mind that everybody's just like, how are these guys in the conversation right now? It's because everybody's kind of assuming that they're going to kill it at the combine. How often do you get a chance to hit 4-4 speed on a football field? Yes, I know that that translates to like agility and like that that burst and whatever, but like 4-4 speed is super cool. But how often are you streaking down the sideline with your 4-4 speed? And it's super cool to see the shuttle drill. But how often are you really like like in and out of like the shuttles and things like that? I think the things that matter are at the combine are things that rarely get talked about. And that's the interview process. And that's like your catching drills and your throwing drills and your things like that. But like we always just get kind of wrapped up in these uh, – like non-essential football things. Um, like Tyler said, like 
these mittens are for blocking humans. And like, let me show you how strong I am. Let me show you how fluid my footwork is. Let me show you how I handle like the weight of another human being rather than just judging me off of my broad jump or my vertical jump or something like that. It boils it down too much almost. So, okay, I'm going to spin the the question instead of the social media stuff. I want to know. Hold on. Before, what, we get to a oh, diff- yeah. before we get to a different question, question. Tyler, did you I have a, a, re- a rebuttal? rebuttal. I, I just think like one thing that, that also like bothers me about, it, I think there's layers to it. Like, yes, I think this process is like super flawed. Like half these tests, like some of these athletes shouldn't have to do. When is a lineman running 40 yards? Why is that relevant? If, if, if the 20 yard only matters – or the 20 yard split only matters. Why don't, ha- why don't you have them run a 20 or the 10 yard split matter? Why don't you have them run a 10? Um, but I, I encourage everyone listening to, as you watch the combine, the top prospects will be the, the ones that the commentators solely focus on. And I think that is such a crime because these, there are 20 something athletes in each position group, at least that, have earned the right to be there and they deserve to have their careers highlighted as well. Not the people who are guaranteed to go day one. Like there's so many people, like I'm trying to remember last year, there was that tackle from Alabama. Um, I'm forgetting his name. He plays for the giants. Um, oh, he didn't oh, even Evan, O'Neal. Evan O'Neal. Yes. He didn't even participate and they spent, several drills of other people actually like going through the drill talking about him. And I couldn't believe how frustrating it was because at the end of the day, like I want to hear what they have to say about these other linemen, like not the the top five that are there. And so, so I challenge you to pay attention to that and and notice if it's like that big of an issue or if it's just me being super picky. Yeah, well, yeah, well so Jalen so Carter is going Carter's to be that guy that this guy. year because Jalen Carter announced this morning that he's not going to be uh, doing drills and things at the Combine, and they're probably going to spend an endless amount of time talking about Jalen Carter. But there are so many DTs in this draft that are ridiculously good. There are There is a deep position. The same thing with cornerback. There is an endless amount of cornerbacks in this draft. Um, and I guess the other thing, Jack, and then we'll transition to your additional question, is like I don't know how much a tenth of a second matters on a football field. Like I don't know when you're saying like, okay, you're the fastest person in in the offensive guards. I understand that football is all about explosion, especially now guards are all about pulling and things like that. And I'm, I'm just nitpicking on, on one position, but I don't know what it means for a guard to run a four, seven versus a four, six. I don't know what that means. I, I don't understand how that translates to a football field. I guess maybe the shuttle drill would, I guess maybe uh, the broad jump might translate to the football field. But Tyler, I think you make a great point when there's just certain things that certain position groups shouldn't have to do. Well, and that's I actually did. the root of my question is at what point do we think the time matters? Like if they just did it in half seconds or if they just did it in full second, like that's the measuring things to the hundredth generates so much unnecessary conversation. Cause like you said, what's the difference? You said four, seven, four, six. Think about how much time they're going to spend talking about four, six, two versus four, six, five. And it's like, 
if that's what's make or breaking something for you, then your scouting process maybe wasn't uh, all aimed in the right direction. But it, obviously, there is you do need to know, right? Because I don't want a guy who runs a 5-3 uh, at the same position as a guy who runs like a 4-5 maybe, because that's actually like a substantial difference. So that I'm like, at what point could we chunk them? Or maybe it's a percentile thing. Like, how do we fix that? What is it? You you either ran a four five or a five or a five five like and then you just round. There's got to be some way to group it that's both digestible and useful to the viewer and the team without being unnecessarily mathematical. I do also want to bring to the table and Tyler answer this question for me. Like, I feel like the combine is a lot like a test. Like, think about your time in school for a second and like all of the information that you need to know for the test, you really accumulate right before the test, you take the test and then it's all gone, right? Like, I don't remember what all the answers were to my seventh grade history test, but you know, maybe some of it sticks around, maybe some of it doesn't. For whatever reason, you get rid of that type of stuff. When you're going into the combine, Everybody is training for this one moment. They get those numbers and then maybe they do a pro day after that. And then for the most part, like it, like you might run a four, four at the combine, but then a month later you're running a four, six because you're not training for that thing every day. Am I, am I right or wrong here? So yes, essentially. Yes, you are correct. It's, this none of these drills have literally anything to do with actually playing football. So the way it was described to me, because a pro day, for those of you who don't know, a pro day is essentially the combine, but it's for everyone. So you just do it at your school. Um, some scouts will come depending on, um, you know, the type of talent coming out of there. Um, but the way my trainer said, told me when I was going into my pro day training was, this is stuff that you're going to, you're training for this and then it's done. Like it's over. I bought a pair of cleats to run my 40 in that I haven't worn since. And I won't wear ever again because they're wide receiver cleats. Why do I, why did I buy them? Because they were super light and I needed to be fast for some reason. Like I, I agree with what Jack is saying though, as far as like, you, you, I think grouping them is kind of, uh, it's kind of good. Like, I don't because you don't want a linebacker that runs the same speed as an an offensive lineman. No, right. No, that, that's obviously very poor. But does the hundredth of a second matter? Like, it, it in the scheme of the grand scheme of things, no. Like, it and to be honest, no one says the hundredth. Like, when I tell people what I ran my forty and I ran a five one, not a five one nine. Like, I'm not going to round it up. I'm going to make. I'm going to do what makes me sound better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we hear that. <laughs> we hear that. <laughs> and another thing about it is like, yes, the combine, like these results, like people consider them to be truth. But last year at the combine, they had an error in their system. And there was like a group of like 540 times that slower than, or were, were like a couple tenths slower than they actually were. So it was like these groundbreaking, like, oh, my God, like this guy, he's like, he's almost there. Like he almost broke the record. Like, no, he didn't. It was timed incorrectly. And that's the way it is as a pro day. Like scouts are going to write down their time that they got and they're going to like, you know, get together and they're going to say, what was the average or like whatever, like what'd you get? They're going to write down another time. And it's like, it's all guesswork. Like no one has the exact right time. 
And if you're doing it outside and it's hand timed, like oh, they don't consider the wind. They, there's like all these factors that that go into it, and it, they don't care. It's just a number that they have to collect and bring back to their organization, and then that's what they base their whole decision on, or not their whole decision, but like for guys who are on the fringe, that's what they consider. I've never understood why we don't wait like the senior bowl more than we do the combine because on the field stuff to me would matter more than some number that may or may not be right. Like Jack, you Jack, your point was just proved by Tyler by him saying that like some scout gets his number and all he needs is the number, like whether it's yeah, right, wrong, like- whether it's within a, hundredth of a second or outside a hundredth of a second, whatever the standard deviation is there, like does it actually matter or is it just something that we've placed a lot of value on? I mean, you do need to isolate the variables still at some point, right? Like the game action is obviously important, but that's where you look at like college football games that they played in because the context, if you think the context of like, was it windy? Was I wearing a new pair of cleats? Like if you think those things have a was big I fully impact, shaved. there are so many things that happen <laughs> over the course of a live football game. You couldn't even count the number of variables there, right? So like, even though it might replicate more closely game action and stuff, there are so many more confounding things. So I, I do appreciate that there is a need for like, baseline numbers the same way that you might get your yearly physical or you get health advice we have like the 2000 calorie diet well depending on what you do for a job maybe 2000 calories isn't enough or maybe it's too much right like there are of course variables but you have to try and standardize it a little bit because it is still important uh, you know uh, let's say that the chicago bears for example i don't know how many scouts they have let's say they have a scouting team of 100 people right that cannot cover every collegiate football program in the country thoroughly at a number of positions. So you do need like little shortcuts every here and there that at least are, should I put my eyes on this guy? Oh, this guy's faster than all the other linebackers. Like I hadn't taken a look at him before. I didn't know that. Let me take a look. And obviously that's a very reductive version of scouting because you probably should have some gauge on the fastest linebacker in college before the day of. But I think the point is you, you do need these numbers to an extent. You just don't like, Okay, you ran a four four one, and I ran a four four one, but I actually ran a four four one three. Like, why don't we go to the thousandth? At some point, the margins are no longer important, and, and that's where I'm interested: is where can we make the margins optimally important and meaningful? Because I don't care about your hundredth of a second or your extra quarter inch in a vertical jump. Like, all right, doesn't matter if this guy's better at timing his jump, then I'd rather take two inches off and have the pass broken up. Yeah, I know. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I have very strong feelings about this. Like having gone through it myself, like it is very much like a test mentality. Like you go in and you know, you can't do bad on this. Like you have to do at least somewhat well to even be considered. And, and for all of that, like if I'm a good enough of a player on the field, it that should matter more. And I, I do think that the senior bowl and, you know, all those senior games should hold more weight than straight up like your pro day or like your combine performance. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's it's a flawed system and there's there are better ways to go about it um, or making making more drills like relevant to like your position. Like it would make more sense for me to, 
you know, instead of doing a pro day, maybe you have a day where you bring in O-line, D-line, and you have them do drills against each other. Just in – like, you could do that at every school because you're going to have, like, a couple guys. And if not, then you could combine with another school nearby. Like, there's always smaller programs looking to be at bigger pro days. So, you know, help out everyone. Make make everyone look at it or at least give everyone a chance. Like, there's, there's ways that you could do this better. And they're just, like – you're just blindly following it at this point. Well, realistically, the NFL's standardized test will uh, probably be happening as this podcast releases. So it'll be very timely. The, the uh, combine is, uh, what is it? March 3rd through the 5th at Lucas Oil Stadium in uh, Indianapolis. You can't go unless you've been invited. Uh, so we won't be there um, as players or as, as media members. I honestly don't have time for that either. So uh, we'll we'll leave this here for now. I do think that all of us should pay attention to the combine um, as it does happen. So maybe we can address some of these things later. Be like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. He ran a, a tenth of a second faster than the the best wide receiver there, and they were still talking about the best right, wide receiver. Or what 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 does it mean that you know uh, Osi- Taurus Osiris or whatever the the guard from uh, Florida he ran you know three tenths of a second faster than this guy that's projected to go in the fifth round. So why uh, we'll, we'll talk about probably all of it next week. I'm sure we'll uh, have another little breakdown of, of the NFL combine, but for now let's bring it down the home stretch. Gentlemen, we're going to hang a banner and uh, Jack coachman, tell everybody what you brought to the table. I already brought it to the table, but now I get to officially hang a banner because we're at the end of the show. And so this is probably, depending on the longevity and the shelf life of this podcast, will not be the last time that this receives a banner. But conference tournament season started a half hour ago. I'm already checking scores and stuff. So you guys get a banner for all the reasons that I listed earlier. Congratulations, NCAA. Well, we'll wrap this thing up quick then so you can go catch uh, the first first round of the which, which tournament is it? Uh, the Atlantic Sun, uh, Florida Gulf Coast uh, currently leads Queens College 31 to 30 for those wondering. Ooh. And uh, two days later, not noticing that that game already finished two days earlier. That is that is correct. All right. Tyler <laughs> Witt, hang a banner, brother. My banner this week, um, I've had some stuff shift around in the show. I'm going to save what I had for a low hanging fruit for next week. But the bulls of pro bull riding. If you gentlemen or any of the listeners have sat down to watch a professional bull riding event recently, these bulls are juiced this year. I saw one on Twitter, absolutely bulldoze a, a, a rider. It is the bulls are winning an exorbitant amount of uh, matches, I guess you could say, versus the riders. Um, and it's just not a season, a, a good season for riders. And that's like an important factor in bull riding. So shout out to the bulls. Hang it up there. They're going crazy. They're they're plowing over dudes. Yeah, it's it's been a good time. Good run for PBR right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, you need to get into a Tyler. Are you in on like stocks and markets and things like that at all? Because I think there's like two categories of people, right? They have bulls and they have bears, and it seems like you were once a bear, but now you're a bull. I wonder if this is a tone setter of a banner. No, no, no. I'm still a bear. I'm still a bear. <laughs> but I, I saw this and I've been seeing a ton of bull clips on like my Twitter feed, my Instagram feed for some reason. And Where does your internet live? Animal, animal planet? planet? A lot of animals. Uh, have you seen Cocaine bear? Cocaine bear? I have not seen 
game there yet. Very excited though. I've heard it's uh, good. The animal segment of this podcast is always brought to you by Tyler Witt. He's got Which, all your animal content. You should start your own animal-based podcast under the umbrella of like Hanging Banner Studios or something like that. Like, I'd be like, hey, guys, we're yucking it up today about armadillos. <laughs> it's called iPad Studios, and it's recorded live from my iPad. No, oh, no. My no Listen, uh, I'd never I'd want never you to want raw you dog the audio on the iPad ever, ever again. again. This will never happen again. If it does, I'll... Uh, I'll retire from podcasting. Another punishment episode. Also, this is my uh, Hanging Banners uh, trivia fact of the day uh, in our Hanging Banners history. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, but you have played football for Western Kentucky, Purdue. uh, It was Winnipeg. uh, And then you were rostered with DC in the XFL. So of all the sports mascots, you have never played under the mascot of an animal. I was a Nighthawk in the IFL. IFL. I, there had to be one. I'm like, what are the chances that this dude is always talking about animals and has somehow dodged all of the animal team names? Also, in high school, was a hilltopper. Uh, anything in like grade school? Were you ever like a, like a Mustang or something? Uh, a junior cat. That's what uh, the the travel the PJC junior cats. That's what uh, that's what we were. Um. I think like it, when you're like playing like just like as a little kid, they just kind of assign you a team. So like you could be the Seahawks, you could be the. I think I was the Seahawks once. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't have too many other like animal teams that I played. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Interesting. Weird. Interesting. All right, I bring us down the home stretch now with my banner uh, for the week. It goes to time. Because it is apparently on the account of of one minor league baseball player named Ryan Fitzgerald being manipulated by MLB. It's the the biggest conspiracy out there right now in professional sports. Uh, He tweeted and said that uh, he played with a pitch clock in AAA for the 2022 season. Never felt rushed. Never saw less than 10 violations over 150 games. But after playing in uh, what was Saturday's game that ended in a tie, I've never felt more rushed to get in the box. The clock this year is not the same as last year. So Ryan Fitzgerald, I think, is insinuating that somehow time is being expedited at the major league level, uh, and he cannot—he simply cannot keep up with whatever MLB is doing to time heist the pitch clock. Dude, that like what a trippy take is. I don't know what's wrong, but clocks are moving at a different pace. <laughs> <laughs> They're juicing the clock now. <laughs> oh, that's a fun one. Oh, this is this was MLB. The Saturday it was an MLB uh, spring game, right? Or is he still minors? This was the the game that ended in a tie. This was uh, yeah. May. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know for certain, but this could have been the same guy that was up to bat when the violation the was called. I, I, I have to go back and look at it now. I should have been more prepared than this, but it could be that this is the same guy that just got rung up at the end of the game, and now he's just making up excuses, and maybe it's not a time heist at all. He's just like, 
man, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't lose. <laughs> if, if you were in this guy's inner circle, like a relative or a close friend, would you be nervous to tell him that maybe it's just because Major League Baseball is scary for the first time? Like, like there are a lot of reasons. Maybe you're just nervous. No, 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 no. Trust me. They have changed the way time works. I heard it. There's 64 seconds in a minute now, and it's thrown everything off. Oh, man. Oh, man. What a crazy take. Like, <laughs> it's going so much faster today. Like, I don't have the clock. Clock's running early today. <laughs> <laughs> dude, do not tell this guy about daylight savings. That's going to send him spiraling. <laughs> we lost a whole hour. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Nobody tell him. He's like, MLB. He just starts wearing like a tinfoil hat and ripping out his ears like, MLB. He's screaming at the Arizona. sky. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Well, that crazy take takes us to the end of episode 23 of the Hanging Banners podcast. I'm Ryan Sartori. That is Jack Coachman. That's our good friend, Tyler Witt. And uh, we'll see you guys again next week. I'd like for all of us to say peace at the same time and see how loud it echoes uh, when I unmute Tyler. Are we all ready? When I unmute Tyler. Are we all ready? No, he's on a delay, too. No, he's on a delay, too. Three, two, one. Peace. 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 Yeah, dude. <laughs> Time, to Time to go. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that look in sports, Brian. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll have one final look at weather. Stay tuned.